Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. Bernie. Hi. And Justin. This week we find out some of the mysteries of space, including where exactly are we in the universe. We also find out what it takes to make a truly intergalactic drink. And we find out about the fate of some terrible subjects in a very interesting experiment in space. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Who am I? Where am I? What is my place in the universe? Justin, what would you say your place in the universe is? Well, I would say that, well, until today I would have said that I am located on Earth in the solar system around the star Sol. Uh, on the Orion arm of the Milky Way galaxy in the universe. And that would have been the correct address of the planet Earth uh, up until basically about now. Turns out it's actually really hard to figure out where we are in the universe. And you probably would have heard of our solar system. At least I hope you've heard of our solar system. There's a good chance if you're listening to our podcast and don't know what the solar system is, I can point you to several episodes which will hopefully explain that to you. Um, But also, when we go beyond that, the solar system, there's something slightly bigger, and that's our galaxy. So a galaxy is a collection of stars and solar systems and a whole bunch of other objects in space, planets, stars, nebulae, um, that all sort of clustered together around a big central core and rotate around it, much in the same way that our planet Earth rotates around our star, Sol, the Sun. Our arm of the massive galaxy we call the Milky Way uh, is called the Orion Arm. So there's multiple little spirals coming out of the big centre for the galaxy, and we live on the Orion one, named that because one of the biggest stars star systems in this is the Orion, uh, the star sign Orion. Now, beyond that, though, it gets a bit confusing because we know there are other galaxies out there, and it's a bit hard to understand the scale in which I'm talking about here, but there are billions of stars inside the Milky Way, and there are even more galaxies out there, so even more, countless more stars around us. And we know that there's some galaxies that are close by, like Andromeda. We know that galaxies can interact and even crash into each other, which is kind of terrifying to think about, but the crashing doesn't actually involve any near as much as collisions as you might think. They kind of just amorphously phase through each other and spin around. But there's a lot of galaxies out there. There's a huge number of them. And they form this kind of cluster. So... Where we live inside this massive galaxy cluster was also hard to describe. So some scientists have come up with a new way of actually describing where we are inside the solar system. So particularly Brent Tully, who's an astronomer at the University of of Honolulu, uh, University of Hawaii in Honolulu, has been studying the Milky Way galaxy using some of the fantastic telescopes there and published a new paper in the journal Nature. So they tracked the positions and movements of more than 8,000 galaxies. So think about how many stars are inside our galaxy and then multiply that by 8,000. And this is just a small thing that they managed to try to track. So that's a lot of data and a lot of observations. So that seems a little more complicated than climbing up a tree and just mapping the area around you. 
Uh, it's a lot more complicated. So, um, and what they managed to find from all of these is when they track their movements and put them all together, it actually suggested they were all orbiting a common point, much in the same way that all the stars that we see around us are actually orbiting the core of the Milky Way galaxy. So this means these 8,000 galaxies, they're all, all sort of hurtling through space around this central clustering point, um, which they're calling uh, this major cluster, which looks a bit like a sphere that's kind of, or a ball that has a corner pushed in or dented. They're calling this, uh, this big cluster that moves around each other Lankaya or Lanikaya, um, which in Hawaiian dialect means immeasurable heaven. And they reckon it contains around 100,000 large galaxies and altogether weighs as much as 100 million billion suns. So that's just one object that we now have been managed to map in our cosmic neighbourhood. But there's some other exciting things just outside this big sphere, like the Perseus Pisces cluster, the Coma cluster, or the Shapely cluster, which all also have a large number of galaxies forming them up. There's also a big gap which is imaginatively named the cosmic void, which doesn't really have much in it because everything else has kind of been sucked into one of these big clusters. So it's really hard to think about just how small a part of our own planet, the Earth, we are, but also how small a part of the universe, our planet Earth, is inside the grand scheme of things. But now we have our own home and our own identity in this massive supercluster of galaxies. So it's no longer just in Australia, Earth, solar system around Sol, Orion arm of the Milky Way. We just got to tack on to the end of that, Lanikea, all of immeasurable heaven. I like relaxing with a nice, uh, refreshing beverage, but it takes a long time uh, to sort of get one that's just right, and it's a whole big complicated process that goes into making it. But to get a drink that's truly out of this world, some some fantastic scientists, but also brewers from Scotland, have developed a really truly out-of-this-world drink. So what's going on here, Burmy? Well... It's, we've only recently heard about it, but this has been in the making for over three years. Researchers fired a bottle of whiskey up into space to the International Space Station as part of an experiment to see how, um, uh, how zero gravity affected the flavors in the whiskey. Um, so what did they send up? <laughs> send up a few a huge massive barrel of, of whiskey up into no, space on the rocket they actually they sent up just a vial a small vial of malt whiskey from scotland's ardberg um distillery along with some particles of charred oak right right yeah uh, and and left it alone for three years um on Just, the International Space Station. They basically had this vial sitting on the International Space Station. Yeah. Just chilling away, not doing very much. I'm that, just that's thinking absolutely if you, fascinating. 
I'm just thinking if you're an astronaut and you're having a really bad day, how hard it must be not to take a sip from the whiskey. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's really interesting because one of the parts about the brewing process for, for most drinks is it's not just something where you do it quickly and you're done. It actually involves a lot of science, trying to get the balances of the different chemicals right to get the reaction that requires the fermentation to produce alcohol just right. You need the certain types of microbes or yeasts or proteins for them to react with in sugars. Um, so it is a really complicated science to actually brew something in. To give it a certain flavour or texture, it's another really complicated science as well. So, for example, the whiskey that they have produced, this Scotch whiskey, um, They've actually they sent up these particles of charred oak because traditionally it would have been stored in charred oak barrels, and that was that would have given it its certain flavour and texture as the barrel interacts with the brewing and settling process when they often leave it for 10, 20 years in these barrels. So sending it up into space for three years is a kind of a short period of time for what otherwise would be a very, very lengthy process. Yeah, so, that, so, so it was orbiting the Earth for 1,045 days um, so far, and it would land um, the 12th of September, so this month, it'll land in Kazakhstan, um, and the distillery has kept a control um, in Ireland, and uh, so they'll taste the two whiskeys, see if there's a difference in the flavor, and uh, it's, it's hoped to revolutionize uh, the whole whiskey making this process. Yeah, because if there's a difference in the way and sort of interacts on a chemical level, that can teach us a lot about a whole bunch of other different chemical processes that might be affected by the absence of gravity. So this is going to hopefully tell us a lot of fascinating things about the way complex chemical reactions occur in zero gravity and what that may mean for obviously drink, but also biological science and maybe even understanding the way our bodies might change and be impacted by space. Now, we've not just been launching whiskey into space recently. Uh, some of you may have been aware of a, of a, of a truly interesting um, experiment being conducted by scientists uh, in a satellite in space. Uh, which which was called the Photom M4 uh, satellite. And why you might be asking about the Photom M4 um, is because I have some interesting but also sad news to report. Photon M4 was launched uh, a couple of months back in July into space with a cargo, a very precious and delicate cargo, and one that was hoped to really shed some light on a very interesting but kind of taboo subject that we've all probably wondered about and that is how does reproduction exactly work in space now don't worry they won't ask to take these acts in space that would be unsafe and probably also unhygienic no they were experimenting with lizards yes they sent four female lizards and one male lizard up into space in a small little satellite with enough food and water to survive but also they really wanted to see if they could reproduce. And these uh, reproductive experimental lizards or geckos gained much internet fame when uh, the general populace learned of this crazy sexual experimentation that was being undertaken by the Russians in space. However, 
many people will be sad to learn that unfortunately when this this satellite photon m4 returned to earth recently it was meant to be a crowning moment of celebration and joy and freedom as these lizards could escape and they could scientists could get their data but when they opened the capsule, they found that the lizards themselves, the geckos, despite the best endeavours of the scientists involved, had perished. They had frozen to depth in the depths of space. And unfortunately, what was going to be a truly fascinating examination of microgravity effects, the reproductive system, the gestation, is, alas, no more. So scientists have to resort to multiple generations of Drosophila flies and microorganisms and plants that were also on the satellite, as the geckos, unfortunately, did not survive long enough to produce any interesting data. I'm sure they would have had fantastic space-related names. For their children? Yes, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really quite sure. Now, we do have an update that's just come in. The Drosophila flies, they did survive, and they were able to reproduce. So they managed to get some data from this very expensive experimentation. But it it has raised a really interesting question, for specifically for larger and more complex creatures, such as geckos, whether or not they would be able to either carry to term the pregnancy, let alone uh, have a reproduce in space, given the fact that there's no gravity to assist a lot of our normal actions. So... Keep watching the skies. Um, maybe one day we'll have some more lizards up there and we'll crack this mystery. So, Justin, we were talking about before, unfortunately, that the lizards weren't able to reproduce in space. But if they had, does that mean we may have had our first kind of alien reptilian life forms? <laughs> I, for one, would have welcomed our new reptilian overlords from space and it was actually really funny because they had uh taken other samples up there with them like uh drosophila flies and plants and so on so they they were able to breed because they managed to survive um because they're a bit hardier than the lizards but no i don't think we've actually taken anything as complex as a lizard up there and tried to get it to breed um because it's actually really interesting to think about because so many functions of our bodies and any animal's body from our bone structure up to our biochemistry, biochemistry may be impacted by an absence of gravity. If you think about the way in which your uh, your bones get impacted by them not having gravity, uh, or a whole bunch of processes that just rely on the fact that downwards, pulling something downwards is a thing, um, means that it gets really, really complicated. And a lot of scientists and also science fiction writers have hypothesized and theorized about what would actually happen um, for reproduction in space. One thing that just um, just seems to, um, com- which I don't understand, is they they died of cold, yet didn't we know that, that space can be very cold? So <laughs> why didn't they just pack in a heat lamp or something to keep the lizards who are, after all, cold-blooded uh, why didn't they pack something in to keep them warm? And that that makes a lot of sense. Um, unfortunately, there was a compressor failure that actually meant that it, it it decompressed and cooled when it wasn't supposed to. So it wasn't intentionally that cold, uh, but it was something that happened. And obviously, sending cold-blooded creatures up into space is not really the greatest thing because <laughs> um, they, they don't have an access to sunlight. So it was unfortunate they managed to to, to die. Um, but it was more the machine's fault, not theirs. Uh, so the, there's been a lot of theories about what could actually impact it, and a couple of the big ones are obviously the lack of gravity. Um, 
noise and vibration from space, uh, but also the radiation that is inevitable in space. Um, so when they've actually done previous experiments, they've been looking at trying to fertilize embryos um, in rats in space, and they haven't really been able to simulate well, not simulate, but actually get a, an embryo to fertilize properly in microgravity or space, effectively. Um, so they've had they've had healthy mice implanted in normal gravity and then taken up to space. Um, and they've sort of managed to fertilize, but they, they haven't managed to do it completely um, inside space yet, which is showing that it's it's a lot harder than it actually would, would appear to uh, get reproduction to actually occur physiologically inside space. And even if the, um, even if there is a presence of, even if you manage to get a fertilized embryo, things such as uh, gene reproduction is actually regulated by gravity, which seems surprising, but it is. So gene expression that comes out um, can be changed. So you could end up with a lot of mutations, as well as the radiation factor, that the fact that it's exposed to, it's outside the protective shell of the Earth. It's electromagnetic sphere, so it gets bombarded with all kinds of radiations, which would make genetic evolution and mutation a lot more likely. So would we have evolved space overlord lizards with mutant superpowers? Maybe. Maybe. Um, it certainly would have, would have not necessarily been a normal space lizard, that's for sure. Um, I'm just fortunate it was the Russians, not the Japanese, who are setting it up in there, because otherwise uh, it would have... <laughs> It would have called, caused Godzilla, so... Space Godzilla. <laughs> yes, yes. So we have avoided Space Godzilla for now, or Russian Space Godzilla, no less. Um, but yes, it remains an outstanding area of curiosity for scientists, but also science fiction authors and writers. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This way we found out the exact address in the universe. We also found out what happened to those poor lizards who went up into space. And we tackled some of the big questions around just what it takes to make an intergalactic drink. We also challenged some of the issues around biology in space. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.